Good morning again. Uh, as, uh, as Nick mentioned, we have been here uh, almost a month uh, and, um, uh, and have enjoyed it and uh, appreciated it. Uh, and in our, in our short time here, we've already experienced so much encouragement and generosity from people. Uh, just know that it is a great testimony not only to this church, but also a great testimony of our Savior. Uh, and, uh, and we give him thanks uh, for, uh, for you uh, and, uh, and just know how much you are appreciated. And uh, we're excited about how the Lord is going to use us uh, to, to fulfill his ministry in fulfilling great commission objectives. Uh, and so uh, excited how the Lord... Uh, aren't you glad that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise? Otherwise, I wouldn't have anything to do. Uh, so uh, we just, just know that we, we've really appreciated uh, our new church family, uh, and we look forward to getting to know everybody better as we go forward. The older I get, the more fascinated I become with boring things. And I say they're boring because my kids tell me that they're boring. Uh, so, I discovered during the pandemic that YouTube is amazing. I watch a guy in Tennessee run a sawmill. He cuts logs into boards. It's awesome. Every episode logs into boards. Sometimes he makes two by fours. Sometimes he keeps a live edge on them and the boards are used to make furniture. Sometimes he makes four by fours and the wood is used to make handles for tools. I can't get enough of it. Uh, he, he doesn't make the furniture or the tools. He just saws the boards. And uh, I don't miss an episode. It's awesome. There's another channel I like to watch where a guy turns wood into bowls and sometimes vases. He literally turns the wood. There's a machine that turns it and he scrapes it and he forms it into, into useful art pieces. Uh, love that. Once we buy an, uh, a house in this area and settle in, Mary and I intend to get into vegetable gardening. So I started watching uh, videos about that. Fascinating. There are two different techniques that I have discovered on YouTube and I'm excited to try. The first one is called vertical gardening. You stack baskets on top of each other with a pole in the middle. And the reason it's wonderful is that you do not have to pull weeds or bend over. That is a great idea. The second method I'm interested to, to use is called no-dig gardening. I know that just sounds lazy, but um, and that's probably what drew me to it. And the, the idea is, is you just put uh, cardboard right on the grass. And then you get compost and you put it about five to six inches deep. You are done. And, uh, and the theory behind it is that the cardboard snuffs out weeds, and where if you get aggressive with weeds, they get aggressive back at you, and, and if you just put the cardboard down and smother them, they tend to just go away. Again, I know it sounds lazy, and that's what drew me to it, but I, I'm hoping it is effective, and I watch videos on that uh, all the time. When the kids are getting ready for school, uh, I wake up at 6 o'clock and, and turn on gardening videos. Uh, I told you, the older I get, the more fascinated I become with boring things. My favorite YouTube channel is called My Self-Reliance. 
A guy in Canada is building a homestead in the Canadian wilderness, and he has been working on his log cabin for two years. Exciting stuff. He got the roof on it just the other week. Uh, this past week, he got it all dried in. The cabin has taken a while. He rarely uses power tools. He said he didn't move to the middle of Canada to hear noise. Uh, and he cuts the trees down himself, and it is fascinating. I'm excited because if the weather holds, he's going to start placing the footings for the outdoor kitchen. Fingers crossed, right? I know that these YouTube channels must be boring to young people because my kids disappear when I start watching them. But I'm fascinated by them. If you think a log cabin being built in the Canadian wilderness is fascinating, then we need to consider our salvation because our salvation is immensely more fascinating. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we continue studying your word this morning, I ask that you give us clarity of thought uh, and good understanding of what you want us to know. And that we won't just know it and take it away and, and not apply it, but instead we will be excited to apply the truth of your word and that you, that you would uh, then use your word to bring about change in us. Uh, and Father, we don't want to stay the same. Uh, we want to grow in our faith, grow in our knowledge, uh, and grow in our gratitude uh, towards you, your word, and the good news of Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are still in the early stages of 1 Peter, uh, which is a letter written to the churches in northern Turkey, today, northern Turkey, five churches that are listed, uh, and it's all about Christians in conflict with culture. And we are in conflict with our culture. We are always trying to swim upstream. Uh, and because we are in conflict with culture, because we have different values, a different mindset, a different perspective, we don't fit in, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing to not fit in with the world because the world doesn't know Christ uh, and doesn't want you to grow in your faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that brings certain pressures on a believer to, to not fit in, to, to feel uncomfortable in this world. And we should feel uncomfortable in this world. Uh, but it can be a difficult thing uh, to experience day in and day out. So that's why uh, Peter wrote to the churches uh, who are in conflict with their culture. So Peter's letter to the five churches in present day, northern Turkey, is supposed to encourage and instruct the believers. Right? Encourage and instruct. Uh, so always remember, the world is against Christ. It's not set up for your spiritual growth. Uh, it, instead, it's trying to always drag you back down. Uh, we need to know, and this is what we started in the beginning of the letter in, in chapter 1, we need to know our salvation. Right? We need to know our salvation. In the future, we need to know that our inheritance is coming and that it will not rot or fade away, but, will, but it is kept in heaven for us and our inheritance is our salvation. A little further on into chapter 1, we need to know the present of our salvation. And in the present, we have present trials that refine our faith. That's our salvation in the present. The impurities get burned off, and a tested faith grows in maturity, and we know that our faith in Christ is dependable. We have salvation in the future. We have salvation described in the present. 
And this morning, we will look at what 1 Peter says about salvation in the past. The plan for our salvation didn't start when Jesus was born. God, in his sovereign knowledge and power, knew that his creation would rebel and need forgiveness. God's plan for being just and able to forgive was to have the Son of God be the perfect substitute to pay our sin debt. Because God knew, he caused people to give his message to the world about God's plan for saving mankind. Those are called prophets in the Old Testament. A prophet is someone who would give God's message to people. These prophets didn't come up with a message, uh, nor did they apply to be the messenger. As we read earlier this morning, uh, and what we need to remember for today is that our salvation is fascinating. Right? Our salvation is fascinating, and we'll see that this morning as we go through 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12. But we read earlier this important truth. In 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21, it says, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. Prophets didn't prophesy based on their own understanding. That would invite error into Scripture. Prophets didn't sit down with the intention of writing Scripture. They didn't start out the day, what do I want to do today? Well, I think I'll, I'll, I'll write some inspired words from God today. That They never intended to do that. Prophets were moved along by the Holy Spirit. They were superintended by the Spirit. They were like a rudderless ship. When Paul was sailing on his way to Rome, we're told in Acts, after being arrested in Jerusalem, the ship was driven along by wind and current. The ship was unable to direct or propel itself in the direction intended by the sailors. The ship existed, but it was not in charge of its own direction. This is very similar to the prophets. The prophets existed and used by God but they were not in charge of the writing. They were moved along by the Holy Spirit to write what God intended for them to write. What did these prophets prophesy? The prophets prophesied about the grace that was to be ours. That is what they prophesied about, about the grace that was to be ours. Sometimes when we read prophecy, we forget the intention, the ultimate intention of the prophecy. There is a fascination with the last book of the New Testament, Revelation. That's short. If you look at the very beginning of the Revelation, what is being revealed? A lot of times we concentrate and solely concentrate on events that take place. But when you read Revelation, is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you forget Jesus Christ, in that entire, this is for free, by the way. If you forget Jesus Christ in the book of Revelations, you have missed the point of the book. You've missed the point. So prophets prophesied about the grace that was to be ours. In 1 Peter 1.10, it says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. So here's a funny thought. The prophets didn't know with full knowledge what they were prophesying. They were writing it, moved along by the Holy Spirit, but not understanding what they were writing. That seems strange to us, doesn't it? 
Whenever I have written anything, I had an intention and I knew what I was saying. The other person reading it might not understand what I was saying, but I always had an idea of what I meant. Here we're told that the prophets didn't have an understanding, a full knowledge of the prophecy that God was giving to them to give to others. While in college, I flew with the school president and a pilot buddy of mine to a small airport in Detroit, Michigan. There was a church that was having an evangelistic crusade, and they wanted Dr. Anderson, the president of the college, to speak at the services. They also wanted Dr. Anderson, who not only was the president of the school, but was also a pilot, to give airplane rides with a newly designed aircraft called Angel Aircraft. Uh, Angel Aircraft was a specially designed aircraft for missions in primitive areas. It was designed for short takeoffs and short landings and rough runways uh, that were quite often carved out of the jungle. Uh, And I went along as an admissions representative for the school with my buddy who was a pilot and Dr. Anderson who was also a pilot and and the president of the school. I didn't know this, but old pilots like to hang out at small airports. Uh, And there's always a handful of them there. There's usually a place to eat lunch and drink coffee at small airports. Uh, and, uh, And they like to hang out there. So when a new aircraft shows up at their little airport, it gets a lot of attention. They started asking me all sorts of questions about the airplane. Here's the thing. I read the pamphlet about the aircraft while flying in it from Orange City, Iowa to uh, Detroit, Michigan. I read the pamphlet, and I was able to answer all of the questions correctly, but I had no idea what any of it meant. I was, I didn't understand. I was just able to give the correct answer, and they seem impressed. Uh, Well, the prophets accurately gave God's message, but didn't completely understand what they were saying. They were interested and searched and inquired what the prophecy they gave meant. So what did they inquire about? We're we're told in verse 11, it says, inquiring, here's what they wanted to know, here's what they searched and inquired about, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. What the prophets inquired about, who would fulfill those prophecies? Who would fulfill it? Jesus said, The Son of Man goes as is written of him. The rest of the the verse is there, but I underline the the point here that that Jesus was telling in his time on earth that these uh, these prophecies in the Old Testament very clearly said, these are about me. These are about me. Uh, So they wanted to know who the Old Testament prophets. They gave the prophecy, they, 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 they spoke it or they wrote it down, and they searched it. Now, who is this talking about? Who could this possibly be? And, and you, can, you can bet that everybody, you know, they were looking around. Is it in our time? Is it in our time? Maybe 20 years later, they would go back to, to the prophecy that the Lord had given them. Is the person here now? And they wanted to know who it was. Uh, the Old Testament has timelines for when the Messiah is to come. So not only did they want to know who, but they wanted to know when. When were these prophecies going to be fulfilled? Who's going to fulfill them, and when are they going to be fulfilled? In Daniel, we get a little bit of a timeline of of what Daniel wanted to know. This is a a long passage, but I have it up on on the screen for you. In Daniel 9, verses 24 through 26, 
This is describing the when of, of these prophecies. When are we going to know about the grace? When is all of this going to come to fruition? Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then, 40, then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. There's a timeline here. And Daniel would search this timeline. When is all of this going to take place? Who is this talking about? God made this prophecy through Daniel, but Daniel didn't understand. We struggle with understanding it, but we understand it much better than Daniel did. We have history that matches up with the prophecy. It was future to Daniel. Some of the prophecy that was future to him is history to us. We have had more information revealed to us by God than Daniel. Daniel searched and inquired. Now, what were these prophecies about? They were about two things, the sufferings of Christ and the glories of Christ. The sufferings of Christ and the glories of Christ. In Isaiah, we get a prophecy about the suffering of Christ. It says in Isaiah 53, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. So we see that there was prophecy about the suffering of the Christ, of the Messiah. Was prophecy about that. And this also goes back to who? They were wondering, who is this referring to? Who is this prophecy about? And they searched it and didn't know the answer. But it prophesied about his suffering. Isaiah wondered who this man that would be crushed and killed because of mankind's sin. He searched his prophecy and the entire prophecy looking for clues that would let him know of, the mis- of this man's identity. Who could possibly love mankind this much to be murdered in such a horrible way? That's really an important question, isn't it? Who could possibly love mankind so much to undergo such a horrible, horrible death? Isaiah searched 
but he didn't find the answer. We're also told that they prophesied about his suffering and they prophesied about his glory. In the same, uh, in the same book of Isaiah, Isaiah also prophesied about the glories of Jesus Christ, but didn't know it was Jesus that he was prophesying about. In Isaiah 11, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees, what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with his breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. It can be confusing because is the Messiah the one who was beaten and murdered? Or is he the one who judges the nations? And the answer is both. But how confusing would it be for Isaiah to have prophesied about the glories in chapter 11 and then in chapter 53 to start prophesying about his death? It confused. It was confusing. It took a lot of search and inquiry. It took a lot of effort. Now there is a very important statement that we need to understand. The Bible was written to be understood. Not everybody in, in, in church history has, has gotten that very important truth. God it had human authors write what he intended for them to write so that it would be understood. It's written to be understood. It, it's it's some, in the New Testament we refer to things that were a mystery, but always in the past tense, were a mystery, because the Bible was written to be understood. But that doesn't mean that it's always easy to understand, correct? It's not always easy to understand. Language can confuse things, can't it? Yeah, language absolutely confuses things. And this might be surprising for some people, but the Bible wasn't originally written in English, right? And that can confuse things. History, understanding history, can be um, incredibly important in understanding Scripture, right? I was teaching at a, uh, a Bible club in uh, North Philadelphia in the projects. Um, and, and the mom who was hosting the, the children's group, uh, she just seemed very upset. And when asked, you know, why, why she was upset, uh, when we had just gone over Jesus' death, she said, why didn't Jesus' friends like Moses or Abraham help get him down from the cross? Right? Well, if you've been studying the Bible, that seems like a silly question. But if you're new to studying Scripture, is that a silly question? Not at all. Not at all. But our lack of understanding history can make it difficult sometimes. But always it was written to be understood eventually. We'll get to what I mean by that in just a moment. But that's the glories of Christ. And there's so much more in Isaiah 11. I encourage you to read it further and see what Isaiah prophesied about, uh, about the glory of Christ. He longed to know but didn't find out who this prophecy is about. So what did the prophets find out? Here's what they found out. What did the prophets find out? 
In verse 12 of 1 Peter, it says, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into, into which angels long to look. God revealed to the prophets that their service wasn't for them in their time. Their service was for us in the future. That's what was revealed to them. It was revealed to them, this ain't for you. This is for somebody else. And they were, I hope, I think, they were okay with that. But I want you to see the progression that's made here uh, in Daniel and then Revelation. Uh, and I, I put in bold uh, what... Uh, uh, where the emphasis is for this, uh, for our purposes. In Daniel 12, 4, it says, But you, Daniel, shall shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. But what was Daniel told? Seal it up. Seal it up. And then, a few verses later, it's repeated. He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up, and sealed until the time of the end. Basically, walk away, Daniel. Told you to seal it, seal it, walk away. It's not for right now, this is for later. But look in Revelation 22 what it says. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Why? Because the time is near. The time is near. When Christ ascended into heaven, you know what that did for us in a timeline? It put us in the end times, where the only thing that has to happen, or right before the end times, what we refer to as the end times, the only thing that has to happen, nothing else in history has to happen, all God has to do is say, I'm bringing home my bride. We're right there. And everybody has been anticipating that the time, you know, it's like we're running at a parallel with that time, and all God has to do is take a right turn and we're there. We're at, that, we're at that stage. And he tells uh, John, do not seal up the words because now's the time. So when John wrote this, uh, probably around Revelation, probably around AD 90, um, it was communicated to him, we're close. We're close. So don't seal this up. Make this, make this known. The prophets were fascinated fascinated with the prophecy they received, inquiring about who, who was this about? When would these things take place? And they were given information about the sufferings of Christ and the glories of Christ, and they longed to look. And Daniel was told, walk away, Daniel. Seal this up. Walk away. It's not for now. A time will come. And now we are in that time where we can be fascinated. Along with the fascination of the prophets, we can study God's word and understand for those of you that have trusted Christ as your Savior and you read the, the sufferings of Isaiah 53 and you're going through it, you can put events to what's going on, right? And you can say, yeah, this happened, this happened, this happened. Daniel couldn't do that. Isaiah couldn't do that. We get to do that. So it talks about the prophets are fascinated, but it also says that angels are fascinated. Into what, into what do angels long to look? They long to investigate how God saves people. It is fascinating how God saves people. We would be fascinated with how God saved us. 
What did God put into action years before we were born that influenced us toward salvation? Can I tell you how a bologna sandwich changed my life? I told this uh, in, the, um, in the lead up to becoming pastor to the, to the elders, and I think I, I, told, uh, I told one other person how a bologna sandwich changed my life. And now I'm going to tell you. This is fascinating, fascinates me. My dad attended a church his whole life that, uh, that didn't teach salvation by grace through faith. Uh, he grew up in a church where grace was extended once you have met certain uh, requirements by the church uh, and, uh, and, and, and that it was earned through, through works. Uh, and he grew up in, in that type of church. He got saved when he was, was 23 years old uh, and, and married my, my mom. Uh, and she went to a Bible teaching church but wasn't committed to a Bible teaching church. Uh, but she went to a Bible teaching church. When they got married, uh, she attended with him, my, with my dad, the church that he had, had grown up with. There was lots of family pressure. This is where our church, this is where our family goes to church. And so he, he continued on in that church, even though he knew Christ as his Savior, uh, he continued on going there along with, with, my, with my mom. Uh, my three older brothers were all uh, born and then baptized into this church that, uh, that preached a different message than the good news of Jesus Christ. They, they taught, again, as I mentioned, uh, that grace would be extended upon meeting certain conditions, uh, and faith really wasn't one of them. Uh, and so I was the only one not uh, born into and, and baptized into this church. Why? Well, as I told you, it's a bologna sandwich. A bologna sandwich changed all of that. My dad was, my oldest brother was about to start uh, uh, catechism in, in the church, and my dad was eating lunch at work, and he was thinking about all the foolish things that he had been told that's not found in the Bible, and that his son was going to start going to these classes and be told these same things. And it was, it was frustrating him. He was conflicted about it. Uh, he and my mom had, had been talking about how we're not, we're not learning anything. We're not learning the Bible uh, and, uh, and we're not growing because of that. So that was on his mind. And, and thinking about, again, what my, my oldest brother was about to be taught, uh, had nothing in Scripture, no backing for that. And he's sitting at lunch, and he's, he's eating his, his sandwich. A relative of his, his uncle, walks into the break room and sees him eating this sandwich and says, Rick, you can't eat that. And my dad said, why? He said, it's a Friday. And my dad said, Watch me. It was either the next Sunday or soon after that. They left that church and they said, let's try a different church. And it just so happened that it was Jenison Bible Church that was within walking distance. Uh, and, uh, and so I grew up walking to church. We were that close. Uh, and it changed my life. They started understanding the Bible, started being taught the Bible. And when you start getting fed for the first time, you know what happens? You grow. And they grew. And because of that, if the church doors were unlocked, we were there. If there was a missionary that came into town, we signed up to host them. Uh, that was just how, how it was. My mom wanted to sit as close as she could. Like I would say, Mom, if we get any closer, we're going to smell his feet. We don't need to be any closer. And I vowed that when I got older and could sit where I want, I was not going to sit 
on the uh, right side of the church at the front. Do you know where we sit now <laughs> and have for decades? Just a, a habit that we learned. It changed my life. Now think about this, because this is true for all of us. Anybody that the Lord has led me to minister to has been affected by that bologna sandwich. Right? Isn't that fascinating? One day we're going to find out all of the things that God did so that we would hear and understand the good news of Jesus Christ. I bet you I'm not the only one with a bologna sandwich story. How beneficial would it be for our entire congregation if you had a story where you knew, here's what took place, completely out of my control, that absolutely changed my life. We could tell each other stories for years. And what would be the result? The praise and glory of Jesus Christ and the wisdom of God. Our salvation is fascinated is fascinating, and angels long to look into it. Uh, Ephesians 3.10, Paul wrote, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What does this mean? God has revealed to angels his wisdom by placing us all into one church, the universal church. The book of Revelation tells us that people from every nation, language, and culture will be saved by him. We have a huge extended family. And if we investigate our own local congregation here at Mandeville Bible Church, we will discover that we are different from one another. Angels might say, how in the world are they going to live together in one church body? They're so different. It doesn't seem likely. God shows his wisdom by making it all work together. It can be rough along the way sometimes, but he will perfect us and make us and make it all work in the end. Even now, his wisdom is displayed in his church when we humbly submit to his authority and concern ourselves with the growth and needs of one another. By throwing away our preferences for the sake of a brother or sister in Christ, that is how God's wisdom is displayed. Jesus said this. I skipped ahead here. I didn't put it in. Let me just read it to you. Matthew 13, 17, Jesus said, For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. In closing, there's three things to take from this passage in 1 Peter. First of all, as Jesus was saying this to the Pharisees, that the prophets long to hear what you, hear, what you have heard. They long to see what you see. And what did the Pharisees do? They rejected it. Number one, three things. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. So many people heard the prophecies or studied the prophecies, read the prophecies, were introduced to Jesus, and they didn't see the connection. They didn't see it. They missed it. Let me encourage you this morning, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Study God's word and find out what he has to say Concerning this salvation, a lot of times people think the pastor's too busy to talk with them. I am here to show you not what I think, but from God's word, what he says about sin and the need of a savior and how God made his righteousness and his love work together to save mankind. 
I can show you from God's word. Don't take my word for it. We can look in God's word. We can open up the Bible and see it. I've got all the time in the world. Don't walk out of here and miss it. If you don't know where you stand before God, if you're not sure you are accepted by him, if you're unclear about it, today is the day of salvation. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Secondly, and we're going to skip ahead here a little bit because we're running out of time. Uh, take advantage. Believer, you have the prophecies that were in the Old Testament and you have the fulfillment in the New Testament. Study these prophecies. Read them. Seek to understand them. They were written to be understood. They were written to be understood. It takes a little bit of work sometimes, but we can help you with that. It takes time. Take advantage of these opportunities that we have in, in the Bible. And lastly, rejoice in salvation. Rejoice. In the future, we have an inheritance that will not corrupt, will not fade away, and it's guarded in heaven by none other than God himself. That is promised in the future. Rejoice. In the present, we undergo difficulty and trials and, and, and persecutions, and God uses those to refine our salvation in the present. Rejoice. In the past, prophets, they searched, they inquired, they wanted to know what were these prophecies about? When are they going to take place? Who is this Christ? Who is this Messiah who is going to judge the nations and at the same time suffer and die a horrible death? How does this all work out? They long to know. Angels long to look into these things. We possess a salvation that is absolutely fascinating. Rejoice in that salvation. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the salvation that you have given us, that you've allowed us to know about our salvation. That we can know, not wonder, not wish, not fingers crossed, but that we can know. The Apostle John wrote, these things are written that you may know that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you have life in his name. Thank you that we aren't just wishing for salvation, but we have the certain hope, the knowledge of our salvation. Father, help us to be as fascinated with the salvation that you have given us as the prophets were and the angels are now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.